0: Like uh, most kids, I loved Christmas, Uh, I really did, but because our family uh, was not a Christian family and we didn't attend church, most of our celebrations centered around Christmas trees and Santa Claus, and uh, we often would cut our own tree since we lived on a farm. Sometimes it was a cedar tree, other times it was a pine tree, but we'd decorate that, and and I really did enjoy it. I did what I imagine some of you did. I would get up in the middle of the night and try to sneak into the living room hiding. I remember one time wrapping myself up in a rug or something and kind of rolling through the hall so I could be hidden hoping to see Santa when he came. Anybody did any of you ever do anything like that? No, of course you didn't. You know, and lay there and listen, you wanna hear those reindeer hoofs on the on the on the roof. But I did. I love Christmas. When I became a Christian as a teenager Christmas took on more meaning, more significance for me. And I remember that first Christmas. I was a sophomore in high school after I'd gotten saved. That very first Christmas, my, my, my sister, she'd become a believer, but our parents were still not saved and not attending church. But my mother, that first Christmas after I became a Christian, gave me what to this day is one of the most meaningful gifts I was ever given. My mother, for Christmas, bought her 17-year-old, or 16-year-old son, this <laughs> big old family Bible. And um, now I'm very practical. I've never used it as my study Bible. But she and Dad, who remember were not Christians, wrote a note on the inside this is from Christmas 1973. And the reason this is so meaningful is my mother, who was not a believer, was saying to me her young teenage son, who was a very active church member at that time and, you know, just growing in Jesus and very bold in my faith, she was saying she loved me and uh, she was proud of me and she was encouraging me in my new life and encouraging me in my faith. And so to this day, because of what's behind it, this is one of the most meaningful Christmas gifts anyone has ever given me, and I keep that Bible in my office, so I, I see it quite often. See, the best gifts, the best gifts come from the heart. The best gifts are an expression of of love. The best gifts encourage people. They bless people. They they help them and In some way, and and after all, isn't that exactly what happened on the very first Christmas? Last week I asked us to to remember John 3:16. Let's put it up on the on the screen. John 3:16. I want you to say this with me. Let's just repeat it in unison. Okay? Quote it with me. For God God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God is a giving God. He's a, a generous God. And here he gave us his son. That's what Christmas is all about is the generosity, the giving nature of God, giving us his son. And he did it to bless us, to help us for our benefit. Because what does it say at the end? Because he gave his son, we we're able to have what? Eternal life. It was for our sake. It was for our benefit. That's the kind of God he is. And, and the reason he did it, his motivation was what? What does it say? Love. Love. God loves us. God loves me. God loves you. And that's the reason he gave Jesus that first Christmas, for our sake, for our benefit. And again, I say that the best gifts are those that come from the heart. They come from love. And and they're intended to benefit, to bless, to encourage, to help, to meet a need that someone else has. So in in this sermon series, we're focusing on giving gifts. And I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 2 we're not thinking so much about the gifts that people give us or even the gifts that you give other people we're focusing on some gifts that we give Jesus some specific things that we can bring to Jesus and here's the here's the the caveat whenever you give anything to Jesus it tends to benefit or bless other people when you give Anything to Christ, it tends to help other people. And you tend to also receive some benefits from it. And we're going to be looking at those as well these weeks together. We're studying the story of, of the wise men, the, the, the magi who came from the east to find and worship the infant Jesus. And and you'll remember they were astronomers studying the stars. And they knew that that one star was significant. They had studied the Old Testament uh, scriptures because when they came to King Herod they said we've seen his star the one who's born king of the Jews so they knew that the star uh, that mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy was pointing to the coming Messiah of the Hebrew people they knew it was a significant time a significant event and they finally make their way to, to Bethlehem but by now Jesus is not in the manger the shepherds have left he's a few weeks maybe a few months old we don't know because they visit him in a house. So the parents have left the manger and now they've moved into a house. And I want us to focus on verse 11 this morning. Verse 11. When it says that after coming to the house, they saw the child, they saw Jesus with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And that's the attitude that we're always to have. Is, is to just worship him and to do everything we do out of worship and adoration and And to fall on the ground when was the last time you lay flat on the floor, face down in worship of God, in prayer, in submission to god so i, I would I would guess there are some of us who have never done that. I would imagine there's some in this room you've done it, but it's been years since you did it, and there's a little bit of hesitancy, and we wonder, why should I do that? It's because sometimes doing something physically helps us spiritually. Getting flat on your face on the ground is a physical act that, that says to God, God, I am totally submissive to you. I, I totally surrender to you. I empty myself out to you completely, God. I hold nothing back. I, I know that you are God and I'm not. You're the creator and I am the creation. You you are Lord and I am the servant. And so being willing to, to get free face down on the floor and surrender and worship that speaks to our heart it speaks to the condition of our heart and an unwillingness to do that also says something about the spiritual condition of our heart and so i want to encourage you between now and christmas day To get on the floor somewhere, get on your face and worship Jesus and just surrender everything in your life to Him. Take your hands off everything and just give it to Christ. I mean, before you give Him other specific gifts, the most important gift you can bring to Jesus is you. Just surrender all of you to Him. Get on your face and say, God, I'm giving me, I'm bringing me to you. Well, each week, we're focusing on something specific that we can bring to Jesus, that we can give Jesus when we get on our face before him, just like the wise men. They gave their gold and their frankincense and myrrh things they brought with them from their own country, gold, a symbol of royalty because Jesus is king, uh, frankincense, a perfume or, uh, that, that, that was sometimes burned as incense in worship because Jesus is God and he's worthy of worship. And myrrh, an ointment that was used to prepare a body for burial because Jesus was born to die on the cross for us. Those were things they had. And the only thing you and I can give him are things that we have. You can't give God what other people have. You can only give him what you have. So last week we talked about how one of the things we can bring to Jesus is our financial resources. And we talked about how that benefits other people and how it benefits us. And and our motivation for doing it is love and gratitude. But today I want to focus on something totally different, another gift that you and I can bring, bring him, and it's time. Time. Time is your life, your years, your months, your weeks, your days. Taking all of the time that is a part of your life and bringing it to God. Now, some of you probably have noticed and have been wondering about the banner on the bottom of the screen and that clock that is ticking down. I had them set it up to give me 30 minutes for this sermon and it's counting down to zero. And that's how your life is. When you drew your first breath of air, the clock of your life began ticking down. And it's closer to zero now than it was the day you were born, but here's the difference. I said it at 30 minutes. I knew what time I was allotting for this sermon. You don't know how much time you have, but your clock is ticking down right now, and you don't know how close it is to zero. That's your life. I did a little research this week, and uh, I wanted to just wanted to, to see what the latest estimates are for the life expectancy for a child born in America today. So if a baby is born in America this, this day, what, what is the average life expectancy for that child? Do you know? 79 years. 79 years is the average life expectancy for a child born this year. Now, guys, I've got bad news. It's 76 years for men and 81 for women. They also, so girls, you get to live longer. How about that? They also have these, this interesting thing called a, a life expectancy calculator. You know, kind of like a retirement planning calculator. How much money are you going to have when you retire? Life expectancy calculator. And you just put in things, that, you know, like your age and your health and your lifestyle and answer a whole bunch of questions. And then it comes up with this number based on all those variables, what your life expectancy is from today forward. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder what mine is. So I answered all the questions, and a number popped up. What do you think it was? My life expectancy. Just give me a guess. Eighty-five point (laughs) three. Yes, Jesus, I'll take that. (laughs) Now, I don't think I fudged on the answers, but I don't know. But but I I I like that number. But here's the thing. None of us really know how much time is left on the clock of our life. I've got 18 minutes and five seconds to finish this sermon before it hits zero. You don't know how many days, weeks, months, or years you have left before the clock of your life hits zero. Friday, At that high school out in Colorado, when that 18-year-old boy, he was upset because the teacher had kicked him off the debate team. Carried a shotgun and a machete to school in order to kill that teacher. Ended up committing suicide. suicide. But before that, this beautiful 17-year-old girl in the wrong place at the wrong time, he shot her in the head and pray for her. She's fighting for her life in the hospital right now in critical condition. To pray for her. But when that beautiful 17-year-old girl got up and went to school that Friday morning, I'm sure she was not thinking that, that her clock was really, really close to possibly being at zero. The truth is none of us know. The Bible says it's appointed for men to die once. And after this comes the judgment. We don't know how much time is on our clock. What really matters is not how much time is left. What really matters is what do we do with the time we have? What do we do with the life, the moments that God is giving us? We're, we're busier than any time in our history. I mean, we, we really are. I remember, and some of you my age and older will remember back in the 60s and 70s all the, all the forecasts for the future with all the advances in technology and everything, how much easier life would be. We'd have all this free time, all this leisure time because technology would do so much. Whereas the truth is all the advances in technology have only increased the amount of stuff we do and we work more and are busier than ever with less free time than ever. And so if we have a free moment, we we, we can't enjoy it. We we have to get out the smartphone. We have to get out the tablet. We have to do something. The average American today spends 20 times the amount of time watching TV each day as the average American spends doing anything religious. That includes praying, reading the Bible, worship. The average American spends 20 more moments, 20 times, If you spend one hour doing something religious, the average American spends 20 hours watching TV in comparison. And so I would submit to us that a lot of us are not managing our times well. We're busy, and then when we have free time, we're filling it with stuff. Parents are busier than ever because there's more activities for children than any time in history. And how many of you parents feel like a taxi service rather than a parent? You have to have a calendar coordinating. Well, I'm going to be here. Where are you going to be? What time? And 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 and, you know. And wow, it's like you're existing to get the kids places. We're busy. More and more people my age are caring for aging parents. We're living longer, so we've got more parents who are now in need of uh, care from um, their children. On and on I could go hobbies. We're such a, a prosperous society. Now we have more yard work and home and housework than ever before. We're such a prosperous society. We even pay people to let us exercise. I mean, we're busy. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Most of us are not being very intentional about what we do with our time. We're not being very intentional about how we use our years and months and weeks and days. We just rush through life and and it happens. And the result is it's an unintended consequence, but it happens, is that the really important stuff, the really important things in life, often get only what's Left over when it comes to our time. Yeah, I'm going to do that when? Yeah, I'm going to make time for when. Yeah, but so what really matters keeps getting pushed to the back, and it'll get what's left over. And we're not being very intentional about taking those big things, those important things, those significant things, and putting them in our schedule first. And I don't want to help you with that. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to see time, to see the years of your life, the weeks, the months, the days, the moments of your life. I want to encourage you to see them as a gift, a gift from God, because that's exactly what your time is. It's it's a gift that God has given you. And and apart from life and, and apart from salvation in Jesus, this is the most precious gift he's given you. It's time. Now, you don't know what size your box is. It might be like one of these really big ones. It might be a small one. But God's given you a present. God has given you the gift of time. And so imagine in this Christmas present, in this Christmas package, wrapped in this beautiful paper, are all the days of your life, the years of your life, the weeks of your life. And this is God's gift to you. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. To not only see this as God's gift, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to give it back to him. I want to challenge you to give back to God the years of your life. To say thank you, Lord. I mean, because when people give us gifts, what do we usually do? We say thank you. Say thank you, Lord. And, Lord, I'm giving this back to you. I'm giving you all the years. I'm giving you all the months. I'm giving you all the weeks. I'm giving you all the days. God, I... I'm prostrate on the floor worshiping you. And God, I give it to you. Because in, until you give your time, until, because time is your life, until you give that to God, you are in control of it. And when you are in control of it, you're more likely to waste some of it. When you are in control of it, you're more likely to put the things that matter most, well, what's left over. There's something amazing happens when you give your time to God. Suddenly he begins putting things in perspective for you and you begin to really have a clearer understanding of the things that matter in life, of what the priorities are, and you have a new ability to say yes and no so that you can put the things that matter first in your life and stop giving them just what's left over. You just have this sense about you. You have this strength. You have this wisdom. You have this guidance from God that that as long as you're in control of this and you're holding tightly to it, you don't have. Another amazing thing that happens when you give the time back to God is your approach to living changes and anxiety and worry, uh, they, they 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 take a different shape because as long as you're in control, you worry about all that stuff even though you can't control any of it. And peace comes from giving it to God because when I give my time to God, that means I've already been flat on my face before God giving myself to Him and and peace comes from that. Peace comes from that. So I want to challenge you to give your time back to God and say, God, this this is yours. This is yours. It's not mine anymore. My years, they belong to you, Jesus. My, My weeks, they belong to you, Jesus. My days, they belong to you, Jesus. And, Jesus, you can do with them whatever you want. They're yours. Do with them whatever you want. The Bible says that you and I are supposed to redeem our time. Buy it up. Make the most of it. Make the most of our years. Make the most of our opportunities. How do you know if you are redeeming your time? Hmm? This precious gift from God, how do you know if you're redeeming it, if you're handling it wisely? Well, let me ask you some questions. I want you to answer them. Do you have a general sense that you as a husband or wife, are neglecting your marriage? Is there just a sense in you that, you know, the truth is, If I'm re- when I'm really honest with myself, I've been kind of neglecting my wife. Ladies, I've been, I've been neglecting my husband. If you have that sense, it might indicate that you're not redeeming your time. Parents, neglecting your kids. Although I have to say in our modern culture, more husbands and wives neglect each other in churches than parents neglecting kids because in too many homes the kids run the home. Have I started preaching yet? And let me just say, husbands and wives, the greatest gift you can give your kids is a great marriage. Here's the thing. They are going to learn how to be a husband or wife by watching what kind you are. And women, mothers, listen to me. If they don't see you honoring and loving your husband, your daughters won't know how to do that. And guys... Your boys need to learn from you how to treat a wife. And when you put the kids first, you're saying to them, your spouse is not first in the home. And God's order in creation is God, then your marriage, and then your kids. And that doesn't mean you love your kids less. But it does mean you love your spouse more. And I know I'm going counter to the culture, but I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, your kids will grow up. God intended for your kids to grow up and leave home, and you had better learn to love each other as husband and wife while you're raising them or when those kids leave. You're going to wonder what happened to your marriage. Are you redeeming your time? Are you being, I know we're busy. Listen, I've lived life. I've raised kids. But are you doing anything to be intentional to honor your marriage? How do you know if we're redeeming time? And and by the way, look at that clock. Five minutes and 18 seconds. You, You know what happens in life? You're just doing your thing. And it keeps ticking down. And and you get to a place, you look, wow, that was fast. Where'd the years go? Wow, I didn't, I I had a depressing moment last week. I got to thinking in January, I turned 56. Man, that means I'm on the bad side of 50, so 60 is close. And I spent one day depressed thinking about that. (laughs) It just flies by. What are you doing with what you have because you don't know how much you have left? I'm blessed. I know I've got four minutes and 30 seconds left to finish this sermon. Y'all are taking bets whether or not I go over, right? I'm going to. Are are you redeeming your time? Well, let me ask you another question. When it comes to worship, when it comes to worshiping Jesus, when it comes to, to church, Are you consistent or inconsistent? You come to church. Are you doing anything to serve Jesus? Now, I know we have all these things that we're supposed to do, but here's, listen, big, 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 big thing in life. Family, Jesus. Family, Jesus. Jesus, Family, Jesus. Are they getting what's left over? Or are they at the very center of what you're doing with this gift called time? There's a lot of things we need to give what's left over to. Jesus isn't one of them. Service isn't one over of them. Your husband and wife's not one of them. Your kid's not one of them. A lot of other things that need to get what's left over, but not those. And life is so demanding. If you're not intentional about it, if you're not intentional about planning it and prioritizing, if you're not intentional, those big things are usually going to get what's left over. And that's not the formula for the best life. Well, i got to move on because the clock says I'm about done. I almost, last week, we said that we, we, one of the reasons we bring gifts to Jesus, whether it's money or time, is because of love and gratitude, and that's the highest motivation. But let me give you another motivation. It's called duty and commitment. Duty and commitment, that's right. I know those words are not in vogue in our modern culture, but those are beautiful words. They're good words. We, we still... We, st- that we still have duty and we still make commitments. When you, when you got married, when you stood before God, your family, and friends and said, I do, that was a sacred vow you took. That was a commitment. And there are duties that come with that. When you got on your knees and said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me for sinning, save me, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior, you made a commitment and there are duties that come with that. Have you noticed how our culture Today, more than maybe in recent years, honors, duty, and commitment when it comes to the military. Yesterday, I watched part of the Army-Navy game. How many of you watched any of that? Did you catch any of that on TV? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you did. I watched some of that game every year. Now, the teams usually aren't all that good. Okay? But there's just something about it, the pageantry. and I mean, these are the men who are who are going to be defending our freedom. And and so there they were in that snowy stadium. It was packed. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. And if you didn't watch it this year, I want to encourage you next year to, to watch a few minutes of it. Staff Sergeant Robert Miller was one of the recent recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor. The highest award we give military officers, military you know, soldiers and so on. And part of his story that earned him the Medal of Honor was he was one of eight soldiers who were ambushed by a larger uh, insurgent force in, in Afghanistan from an elevated position. They were surrounded and, and, and they were going to die. But to give his men a chance, Robert Miller, through open area, attacked the enemy drawing fire. And as he was drawing fire, he was giving the other seven a chance to to, to escape and be rescued. He killed ten insurgents. He wounded at least a dozen others. He was hit multiple times with one being fatal. But his seven fellow soldiers survived. We honor duty. We honor that kind of commitment when it comes to our military. Why do we not honor that when it comes to being a good husband, a good wife? Saying that I am committed to being a good husband, I'm committed to being a good wife, and I will do my duty as such, that's a good thing, that's an honorable thing. Yes, out of love, yes, out of gratitude, but folks, there's nothing wrong with duty and there's nothing wrong with commitment. Those are honorable things as well, even though in our culture we don't think so. What about saying, I'm going to be faithful? to Jesus. What's wrong with honoring duty and faithfulness to Jesus Christ? And, and by the way, the clock, y'all go ahead and pop it back up and let them see the big triple zeros. I'm out of time. But see, I get to keep going if I want to. But in your life, in your life, when your clock hits zero, you're done. There's more I want to say, and when the life, when the clock of your life hits zero, I promise you that will be more you want to do, but you're done. That's why doing, you know, make, making the most what you do with your time matters, and and here's the catch. If you only give the big things, the things that matter, what's left over? If you're not intentional, when your clock hits zero, there will be a lot more that you'll want to do. And when we live this way, when we live by, by by when we when we live by redeeming our time, the result is a satisfied life. There is so much satisfaction let me let me pull some of this together because remember I said one of the benefits is that other people are helped it makes a difference in other people's life you get satisfaction but you also have the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping other people um, most of our kids are not in this room right now our preschool kids or elementary kids, most are not in this room. If you're, if you're, say, uh, sixth grade or younger, wave at me if you're in here right now. Sixth grade, real, real, stand up because I can't see you. Little people, stand up. All right, sixth grade, stand up. All you little people, stand up. All right, now all you teenagers, stay up. Don't sit back down. All you teenagers, go ahead and stand up too. Go ahead. All you teenagers, stand up. All right. Now, if you do anything in this church to serve with these little people, you know, the elementary and preschool, or anything to serve with these teenagers, you stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Now, remain standing. Don't sit back down. Across the hall, across the hall with the babies, right now is a lady named Roberta, Roberta Wolf. She's over there this hour practically every Sunday, loving on those babies. Some of you young parents, Roberta's been loving on your babies over there, okay? Roberta has been doing that for 34 years. Her mother, Melva, who's in heaven now, did it for 45 years. I asked Roberta why she does that, and she said, I love kids. And then I asked her, what do you get out of it? And she choked up. She got teary-eyed and she couldn't talk. You adults who are standing up right now. Now I know that I, I, I know they can be a little bit, Ricky, they can be a little bit frustrating occasionally, right? Just a touch every now and then, just a touch. But let me ask all you adults who are standing up: Is it worth it? Answer me. Is it worth it? Huh? Well, three of you think it is. <laughs> Is it worth it? Do you get any satisfaction out of it? Do you think it makes a difference? Hey, those of us who are sitting down, let's say thank you to these who are standing. Go ahead. Now, now listen, uh, kids, you all sit down. Adults, you stay up. These adults who serve our kids, you know what they're doing? They're investing what what are they doing? They're investing this in something big. They're investing this in something that matters. Are you investing any of this in something like that? Thank you. Y'all can be seated are you? Well if not there's information in your bulletin today about how you can learn how you can and I want to challenge you to do that I'll close with this Will Crook grew up in this church Will's uh, up at uh, southeastern seminary preparing for ministry maybe as a children's pastor one day somewhere a few weeks ago, I emailed, I was exchanging some emails with Will, and I uh, I asked him, what What does First Baptist mean to you? How's God used it in your life? And here's part of what he said. He said, FBC has meant so much to me growing up. I developed lifelong friendships with several people, including Stephen, our son. And he said, some men, such as Mark White, and I don't know if Mark's in this service. None he usually sits back over here. Wave, Mark. Wave, big. He's, you're tall anyway, so wave. Wave. Uh, he said, some men, such as Mark White, and how long have you been working with youth here, Mark? 96. Since 96, all right, so 17 years, um, have mentored me since sixth grade, and I still see him as a mentor and trusted friend. What, what's he doing? When, 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 <laughs> one of the things my son, because Mark did the same with him, was bringing him out to his house and Played on the lake. But Mark also would get up here at night and coach, let them play pickup games. You You can't invest in people without prioritizing your time and redeeming it. And it's worth it. Because it makes a difference in people's lives. It's worth it. Let's stand. And by the way, if when it hit zero I had stopped, you wouldn't have learned about Roberta. You wouldn't have learned about Mark. You wouldn't have learned about a lot of the stuff that I just said. And when you die, there's going to be more you want to do. That's why you need to make sure you're doing as much of it as you can the right way in the time that you know you have. Okay? And so when we sing this song and we have this invitation, I'm inviting you to to come to the front and say, God, Right now, God, I'm taking the time that you've given me, and I'm giving it to you. And God, give me the wisdom to handle it well. Give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom to, 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 to do the big things, the important things, to be intentional. To be intentional. To be intentional. And not just give Jesus, and not just give my family and my marriage what's left over. Help me be more intentional than that. Be intentional. Be intentional. It'll be worth it. Okay? So come and get on your knees and pray. Sit here in one of these chairs. Pray. Talk to God. We invite you to join this church, to make other spiritual decisions, to to, to get get on the floor if you need to and say, God, I'm giving you my life. Steve and I are going to be waiting for you here at the front. You come right now while we sing together.